This is Strange Assembly episode 193, Gen Con 2016 in review. Well, I was driving, so I managed to get back safely, but I hear a lot of people got stuck in flights. Did that end up affecting you, Jay? Luckily, no. Yeah, I've heard several people, because it was Delta that apparently was having some sort of computer issues. I flew southwest, so did not get affected by it, but there were lots of cranky people at the airport. (laughs) Yes. Uh, I'm Chris Stevenson, and that's Jay Earl. Hello. And this is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can check us out on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. As we record this, it's a couple of weeks after Gen Con. We've had a little bit of time to uh, rest and recuperate, you know, spread things out. As I told, whenever I was doing the uh, the interviews at Gen Con, I had to say, "Now I'm I'm gonna get I'm gonna be home on Monday, but remember." This is not going to go up for a bit after that, because if I come home after having been gone for five days and then continue to ignore my uh, my wife and children in favor of, of editing a podcast, then I will get killed and never finish editing the podcast. So, <laughs> so I got a, little, got a little time between these things. Gen Con was fun as always. Sad to miss it last year, and I better not miss it next year. I mean, not only just the new games, but it's going to be number 50 next year. Oh, is it? Wow. Yes, Gen Con 50. Although I did have somebody a couple of days ago point out that he had gone to Gen Con before I was ever born. (laughs) Which is impressive, because I'm not really that much younger than Gen Con. No, yeah. Uh, Apparently his father had taken him to the very first Gen Con. When it was actually still in Lake Geneva. Wow. Hence the gen in general. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh, apparently I got something wrong. I, I didn't bring the book in here, so I don't know who it is, but I noticed that Peter Atkinson's not, I guess, the CEO of Gen Con. I thought he owned Gen Con now after he left Wizards of the Coast, but apparently not. So he was just hanging out and playing Mega Civilization on Sunday. I don't know. There's a, there's, there's a correction from our Gen Con preview episode. So... Did you get to do everything you wanted to do at Gen Con? I mean, within reason? No, you never get to do everything you want. I mean, I would have to, like, time travel loop, like, four times at least to do everything I want to do at Gen Con. Well, that's why I tried to qualify it with within reason, because I realized after I asked the question that it was a silly question. Well, yes. But no, yeah, I had a fun Gen Con. I got the things that I wanted to do done the tier one things that I absolutely wanted to do, I done. I got done. A couple of the tier two I would have liked to have done, I got done. But yeah, there were still plenty of things that I wish I had had found the time for, or just in the hectic craziness of just forgot to do. Yeah, I, I was I was reminded this time I spent a bit in the the Sagamore Ballroom mm-hmm. for Pathfinder, and that is one thing that I never really do at Gen Con is role-playing, like doing role-playing games at Gen Con, because that just eats up so much time. But yeah, I could spend my entire weekend doing that. Oh, yeah, totally. I was contemplating, I was thinking, like, as they had the the big, awesome, like, world premiere module with, like, you know, the thousand people all doing the same thing all at once, 
on Friday night. I'm like, ah, oh, that would be pretty cool to do. Mm-hmm. Although that that is one of those things that requires you to be like sitting there at your computer when the event reg opens up because yes, it yes, sells yes. out within a couple of hours. Yeah, but that's if I had the time turner, that would probably be loop three or four is just role playing get day games. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you did. You you had true dungeon, so I, I haven't done true dungeon. Now you have to give us an after action report. Oh, okay. So it's it's definitely an experience. It's a lot of fun. You know, it it is what you, what they say where it's all your it's a very immersive thing. There's people in costume and I guess at this point since it's done, it's okay to spoil some of the surprises. The final boss of one of them was a, a beholder. Or I suppose technically was a large eye monster that is technically and legally distinct from a beholder. <laughs> and I think you might can you call it an eye tyrant. Okay, we'll call it an eye tyrant. I don't know. But I yeah. like that. Yes, we 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 resemble but are legally distinct from the lollipop guild. Yes, exactly. But it was a very impressive thing to see. It was just this giant eye monster, and it was moving, and you know. Jay, Jay, we're not True Dungeon. We're not going to get sued for copyright infringement or trademark infringement. You can just call it a Beholder on the show. Okay, okay. So the Beholder was giant and was really well done and well executed. So yeah, I would definitely recommend it. It's quite the experience. The one thing I would say about it is I, I feel like the enjoyment definitely depends on who else is in your group. Because uh, did it did it a couple times. It's you know ten people, and I don't have ten friends that want to do True Dungeon, so it was mostly strangers. And the time that I did it, where every single person was excited and was having fun and was there to have fun, was a lot more fun than the time where about half of them were teenagers who were dragged along by their parents who were just sort of there. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So yes, the the quanti- the quality of your group will definitely affect the quality of the experience. That said, even with that former that latter group, I still had a lot of fun. So did you survive the sessions? Survived one, did not survive the other. <laughs> yeah, because well, they if you if you play on the higher difficulty levels and survive, they give you pins or badges or something, right? So they give you a yeah. Well, I think all of the difficulty levels, because I got a, a, a pin for surviving the base level, but it's they give you different treasure tokens and I think different pins for both completing and surviving uh, the different levels. Did you uh, take your reward for completing the first one and use it in the second, or are you hoarding them for next year? Oh, no, it's a, it's it, the the reward was not a one use; it's a permanent. So yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a piece of gear, and so I equipped it for the second run. Boots of speed, bag of holding, what do they give you? I think the reward was something like an ear cuff of something that if bard song was is up, i.e. you have a bard in the party and they're paying attention, you take less damage. That is hilariously specific, but okay. Yes. Bag of holding, not really out. Like, what, the, the stuff that lets you carry more stuff is, of course, always awesome gear in a... In a... Right dungeon crawl sort of rpg but yeah ear cuff that is that is (laughs) does that take up your head slot or do you have a separate ear slot exactly there's a specific ear slot 
I feel like there's a couple of slots that are like, we need more slots. You can have two ear slots. I'd have to look at it again, but the, yeah. You can have like four ion, four or five ion stones. You can have a couple charms. I think there's even one that lets you have more than the base number of charms. Well, that, that would make sense. I mean, one, people always like equipping lots of stuff, too. They are selling the tokens. Yes, yes, they are. Uh, <laughs> so, is it something that you, you you know you did once and you're glad you did it, but you'll probably have other things to do at future Gen Cons, or do you think you'll go back and do it again? I'll probably do it again, yeah. I... I don't know that I'll go all whole hog like some of the people I, I talked with there who like that have done it multiple times at a given Gen Con. So basically there's two different scenarios to be done at Gen Con. So I just did one of each of them to experience it. There are people that will do each of them like three or four or five or six times in a Gen Con. I, I don't know. How many times I'd have to go through the same Gen Con before I would spend it doing the same true dungeon yeah. repeatedly? No, yeah. Yeah, well, Ben, like, but you're doing the same puzzles. You are doing the same puzzles. Over again. I, yeah. I, I really like puzzle stuff, but doing them repeatedly is not really effective. I don't know. Not really well, exciting to me. So I've watched the after, because they put up a video that explains all, how all of the puzzles worked. And they did put a couple of subtle things in where, you know, you couldn't you couldn't always just be like, well, I already know the solution to this puzzle. Let's just execute and call it a day. Ah. You did have to pay attention to the new things. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, so uh, people who heard the, the live thing heard an awful lot of what I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was doing and, and my thoughts on some of the... The games that I played, but I'm trying to see what did I what did I play that I did not mention on there. Um, I played The Crow, Fire It Up. It's really a two-player game, okay? Like I think the box says two to four, or I don't know what it says, but it's really a two-player game. One player is Eric and his buddies, which is it's literally it's Eric and the crow and the little girl and the cop. That's one side. And the other side is the the gang members. And if you play with more than two players, then the gang members get split up. Right, that's like, to me, that's a sign that this is really a two-player game, when you're just taking yeah. the exact same stuff and splitting, uh, you know, just splitting it up like that. So it's really a two-player game. And Eric is always trying to kill all the bad guys. That is always his objective. The bad guys are trying to burn the city down, and then accomplish something else. They have a two-part, a secret two-part objective, so you don't know exactly what their burn-it-down objective is or exactly what it is they're supposed to do after that, which might be burn a specific other building down. And, and similarly, Eric has a a hidden order that he has to kill the the lieutenants in. or not the mm. lieutenants, but like the, you know, skank and, and all them. And it there's an awful lot of stuff in it that is really precisely based on the movie. And so I think that's really cool if you're somebody who likes The Crow. It's probably much harder for you to get into if you're just randomly sitting down and playing it and are not pretty familiar with the movie because 
some of the... I mean, just starting from the basic premise, why is one of this guy's allies a little girl? I don't understand. You, you know? It doesn't necessarily make a lot, but uh, it, like at the beginning, Eric basically just gets to run around killing people, and the gang members kind of just need to do their thing and try not to get killed for as long as possible, because, like in the movie, there's nothing they can do to stop him. Then, at a certain point in the movie... Or in the game, the bad guys figure out how to actually hurt Eric. And uh, eventually Top Doll, or the leader of the bad guys, comes out. And now Eric has to be much more careful because he's killable. Before that, he really can't be killed before that. He, I mean, the, the crow keeps him alive and the, and the crow is not going to die at that point. So, I liked it. Uh, I'd like to play it some more. I mean, I think it need, I uh, I mean, Robbie, all right, I got a demo. We did get we get to we did get to finish a complete dank game in an hour long demo including teaching. So That's good. Yeah, you have the ability to do it a lot. I think the there's maybe 15 different secret objectives for the uh, the bad guys to choose from. I mean, and there's dice in it, so there's there's randomness from that, but I I enjoyed it. Uh and I think if if somebody really likes the crow, it they they really did a lot with uh, how the cards work and the f- names of cards to uh, to kind of play into that and I I think you should it, it's worth checking out if you're a fan of the crow if if you aren't familiar with the movie I feel like you're going to be kind of lost it's not like one of those things where there's just a theme slapped on it that doesn't really matter that much and you can just play anyway you're probably going to be a little puzzled by some of the things if you haven't watched the movie before. Another one that I played but I did not come up at all was Tides of Madness. Have you ever seen Tides of Time or or Tides of Madness is the new version, but have you ever played Tides of Time, Jay? I have not, no. So, uh, Tides of Madness is a Cthulhu-themed version of Tides of Time that plays very similarly. The core mechanic is that it's played over three rounds. Each player starts with a five-card hand, and you are drafting and just passing the cards back and forth. So at the end of one round, you'll have five cards. They all get played face up as you draft them. And then at the end of the round, you'll score. And the scoring will be based on what the cards in front of you say. It will be like, get this three points for every this symbol on your cards, or lose points for that, or this happens, you know, and and you do that three times, and each subsequent round, you choose one card, one more card to stay permanently in, so the first time you'll have five total, the second time you'll have six total, the third time you'll have seven total, and you get to discard a couple of the cards that you still have, or one of the cards that you still have, then you draw two new ones, so at the, at the beginning of each round you have five in hand, so, over time, if you play this a lot, you could get very strategic with it because you have almost complete information about what your opponent has because it's exactly the same cards that you've been passing back and forth. Right, it would just be one card you wouldn't know what they have, the starter card they drafted. Yeah, and what, in addition to just art and names and such, what the Tides of Madness adds in is that there are certain cards that have tentacles on the side of them, and uh, at the end, for every tentacle that you have on the cards that you know that you have face up, 
you get a madness token, and if you get to nine madness tokens, you lose. And I, I think whoever gets the most madness tokens has the option to get rid of one of them or to get bonus points or something like that, so you have some ability to mitigate it. I actually played this a couple of times. It plays pretty quickly. I lost the first time due to madness tokens. Mm-hmm. And then I think I... Did I win? I think I lost the second time just to having fewer points. But it, it was a fun, short little game. I could see people getting overly AP about it. We were I was not doing that in, in the uh, teach me how to play thing. So... I enjoyed that. I don't mean that. I don't know how much the Cthulhu theme adds to it for Tides of Madness versus Tides of Time, but the little small box game. Okay, yeah, uh, y- y- your turn. Tell us about something else you did other than True Dungeon. Okay. Well, basically Saturday I did Imperial an Imperial Assault tournament, so had quite a bit of fun with that. Sadly, so if if you don't follow Imperial Assault. One of the the things that is most annoying about playing the skirmish is you have to start by doing the little jigsaw puzzle by putting all the thi- all the tiles together to make the map that you're going to play on. They have recently announced that they are making play mats that are the maps, but sadly those were not ready yet. So there were a few people that ha- that had gotten them that their stores had managed to get them, but most of the rest of us got to play jigsaw puzzles at the beginning. But yeah, other than that, it was it was a fun tournament. I am unfortunately rusty, so I ended up 3-3. But my Ugnaughts swarmed mini stormtroopers for quite a mon- quite a amount of amusement for me at least. How satisfied were you with your you know your squad selection? Would you have done something differently with that if you did it again or the squad selection I liked, I wish I'd spent a little more time on the command deck, which is the little deck of 15 cards that you get to play with that influence the battle, because I feel like actually playing it, I had a couple of duds in there. But, yeah, I definitely enjoyed the squad. It was a fun squad. So what? what other, other than Ugnaughts, what was your squad? It was a whole bunch of Ugnaughts, plus Bosk and Greedo and C-3PO, and a guy from the game, from uh, Gideon, who's one of the heroes from the base game. <laughs> I have not done Imperial Assault Skirmish. You can throw, isn't C-3PO a rebel or something? He can go in a yeah. scum deck? He, he and Gideon are both rebels. So there is, basically there's an Imperial upgrade that will let you play up to two cards of mercs, and there is a merc card that will let you play up to two units of rebels. And then, because right now, mercs don't have any support units, really, a lot of merc lists pull in Gideon and 3PO. Because it's, basically, it's like six points to get both Gideon and 3PO, and you get two really solid support units. Uh, did you see the the Jabba's Palace Imperial Assault stuff that was announced. At- I am very excited for, by the Rancor, by the Jedi Luke, and by Jabba the Hutt. Yes, I saw that. <laughs> uh, Jabba the Hutt. So you can take a big miniature slug and put yep. it on the table and not move it, I'm guessing. Pretty much, yeah. No, I mean, they haven't fully previewed, but you can see a little bit of the card in the preview, and it very much looks like he's going to be that support unit that the mercs really need. So yeah, he'll just sit back and tell all your other 
tell Boba Fett, get over there and be awesomer. And just think, someday you can have Star Wars, you know, special edition Java, where he can actually <laughs> move around, but then is awful. Yes. There you go. I'm just waiting for them to break into the prequels so we can have the Jar Jar figure. Yeah, it. they're kind of in a weird spot, aren't they? At, at some point they had said this, or like the, these things that we're doing, the card game and the and, and Imperial Assault and X-Wing, they only cover Rebellion Era originally. They do not cover the prequels. But they've pulled so much, especially for the X-Wing, they've pulled so much stuff that's really prequel ships. But yeah. it's like, oh, well, no, some of these were this left over during the Rebellion. I'm yeah. I'm not sure why they continue with that. or uh, Yeah, I don't know either. Somehow in the contract with them, or I don't... Yeah. Uh, not, not that I'm ever need to see a Jar Jar piece in a game, but come <laughs> on, wouldn't you want a Qui-Gon figure in Imperial Assault? Well, yes. I mean, yeah, that's the thing, is it depends on the game. X-Wing has been around long enough, and there's few enough ships in canon that it's really starting to uh, pull from interesting places to get ships into it, whereas Imperial Assault is one of the younger ones, and there's a lot more things to pull from. It's, I mean, Jabba's Palace is the first Jedi, Return of the Jedi stuff that we're seeing, so... It's going to be a while before it's forced to run into, for, forced to start grabbing weird things. Yeah, well, on the bright side, I guess for, for, for all of these, there are more movies coming out. Yes. Like every year now. So there's going to be a lot, I mean, there's just going to be constant new content generated in addition to things like Rebels. But still, like the, the Quad Jumper, one yeah. of the X-Wing ships announced, like, look, I am, I am super pumped to see Sabine's tie, and although it's not a big deal to me, I'm sure a lot of a lot of people are super excited to see Kylo Kylo Ren shuttle the Upsilon class shuttle. I think it is, mm-hmm. but yeah. the quad jumper, I'm like, they really reach. I feel like for the the scum and villainy ships, especially since yeah. they're like trying to catch them up, so they have a lot of the sets where it's like one rebel or the waves, where it's one rebel, one imperial, and two, and it's sort of like I. Sometimes they come up like, what? I don't even know what some of these are now. And I'm not like super massive, know everything Star Wars guy, but I know Star Wars reasonably well. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure the quad jumper in question, for those who don't know, is from Force Awakens, the ship that they blow up so that Ray and Finn are supposed are, are forced to take the Millennium Falcon. That is correct. That's what the quad yeah. jumper is. Yeah, so its its screen presence is like two seconds most of which is it blowing up. <laughs> I continue to adore them, but I, and I guess partially it's still my not being a fan of the scum and villainy mercs, whatever faction showing through there too. Sure, yeah. I mean, I, I, I am a fan of the scum and villainy, and yeah, I think they sometimes are stretching for some of these ships in X-Wing. But again, once you go past all the Bounty Hunters' personal ships, which I feel like a lot of those were made up by Decipher for the card game... Yep, yep, I think so too. Yeah, uh, you're really starting to to drag for... I mean, yeah, especially bigger ships. Yeah, I'm just hoping they don't ever decide that they need to add a a scum and villainy faction to Armada. Well, yeah, because, I mean, after, what was it, Talon Card's Red Star Destroyer, what do you have in in Scum for capital ships? Yeah, probably be, Okay, so, 
back back to to exciting Gen Con. Let's see. I I mentioned Red Dragon Inn during the the live episode, but I didn't talk about it. So let me do that now. Have you ever played this one? I have not actually played it. I've seen plenty of uh, talk about it, but I've not actually played it now. Okay. Yeah. So I I. I've, now I I know you hate the game I'm about to reference so but don't hold that so don't hold that against it but I mean it's probably vibe wise the thing that comes to my mind is Munchkin in that it's it's like this light card game thing comedic mm. within the the sort of D and D as a starting point milieu now it's it has nothing to do with going... You don't go into dungeons. This is after you're back at the bar, after you're done. But I, I think the most amusing thing is like the, you, you win by being the last person left standing, and you lose by either running out of money, right, and thus not being able to buy any more beer or gamble anymore, or <laughs> you have a constitution stat and an alcohol level, <laughs> and when your alcohol equals your constitution, you pass out, and you're done. Excellent. So, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's, it, you have a hand of cards every round, you can play an action, and then you have to take a drink. You, or you buy a drink, which, which you put a drink in someone else's drink stack, and then you drink one of the drinks in your stack, which mostly increase your alcohol level, but may do more exotic things, and everybody's a character, and each of the characters has their own custom deck. Like, the demo that I played, I was a time mage. So, I had cards that were themed as, like, coming back from, like, the version of myself coming back from the future to warn me about something mm-hmm. so I could cancel another effect, or a card where I was suddenly an infant. So, therefore, I, I was able to decline a drink or decline to, to gamble in a particular round because I'm, I'm too young for that. It was amusing. I, I mean, I if you hate light, random, semi-humorous card games, you're not gonna like this. I mean, that's that's what it is. Mm. How entertaining it is, I think you'd have to play more. It's the sort of thing where, right? Like if you you play a bunch and then the cards make a mess of it. Like Munchkin's better now. I know you hate it, but but early Munchkin, there was a real issue with like there not being enough low-level monsters, so things would just get really stuck. Or there's the way that, you know, the game can never end because everybody just beats on the leader till nobody... so that nobody can ever cross the finish line. I, I can't really tell that from a demo. But it, it, it's not something that I'm gonna go rush out and get, but I, I can see why it's uh, it's continued to churn out expansions and do well. Sure, yeah. And yeah, no, the the lighthearted silliness is not why I dislike Munchkin, so I might I would give that a try, yeah. See, I also people heard me talk a lot about this beforehand, uh but like let's say logistical things. Let's say legit let's talk about I want to talk about logistical things, uh which includes the math trade. So the first was I, I was incorrect when I was talking in the live episode about I had heard that there was been an increase of like 5,000 people or something like that, that was actually not the case. The number of unique visitors at Gen Con this year was about 60,000, which is basically what it was last time. So there was an increase in turnstile, 
I think there were about 200,000 turnstiles. So you had about 60,000 people, and on average, the people were there for three days. I don't know if that's, like, if you buy a four-day badge, but you're only there two days, I think that counts as four, because they don't actually have any way of, I don't think they actually have any way of knowing. They're not actually tracking all of our movements throughout the con. They do have the people with the clickers at the entrances, at least at the early in the day, I, but they don't, they're not there constantly tracking every in and out through the whole day, and you might count the same person over and over again as you leave mm-hmm. and get lunch and then come back and go to a tournament and come back. But still, 200,000 pay for. I imagine that most of them either are either one days or four days. It's really not economical to get a two day, to get a two day pass, if I recall correctly, unless you live in Indy. I would imagine you're mostly either four days or coming on Sunday for the family fun day. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Because that's getting all four people in for that whole day is or maybe 45 bucks. So that's that's pretty affordable. So there was that to clear up. If you listen to the live episode, I was not happy with the, the off-site parking thing that I did. I knew there was going to be a certain level of inconvenience because you really needed to take a shuttle back to your car every time you wanted to run back, which I had to do several times, in part because I was doing the math trade. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I ended up just walking to the remote lot several times because it was such a long wait for the shuttles. They either were not running as fast as they had aimed to have them run or they were coming and like they'd fill up and then they'd leave again because there were three shuttles worth of people standing there waiting to get picked up and so you'd have to wait for another one to come and that was just crazy now don't get me wrong this was this was very good for the according to my fitness tracking app this was very good for me that i did all this walking <coughs> yeah but but geez it is quite a hike to go the entire length of the convention center and then the entire length of Lucas Oil Stadium and the accompanying parking lot, which is how far you had to go. If I did it again right now, I would just park at the mall. I would just park at the mall. Yeah, since it's like right there and super easy to get in and out, yeah. That's what I've done in the past sometimes when driving in. Yeah. Obviously, it's most convenient if your hotel's right there, but since I was uh, trying to be a, a cheapy about this, right? I drove, and instead of flying, I I stayed in a hotel on the outskirts. It wasn't a super nice hotel. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all, all I was doing was falling asleep and then getting up again and showering, so it was fine, but... Right, what more do you need? It, yeah, it got the job done. It's been a while since I stayed at a hotel that did not have central air, though. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, it it no. was fine. The window unit, again, did the job adequately. Oh, okay. So there was air conditioning, just not central air. Oh, right? no, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, If there was, that's not functional if there's no air conditioning. Oh. I mean, Indy's not Atlanta, but it's not cool. Not in the summer. No. So, uh, yeah, not, not super fond of that. The line, the will call line, was the longest will call line I've ever been in, although... It moved quickly. I mean, it was it was long, but at least it was moving. Yeah. No, yeah, it definitely moved nice and quick. The math trade uh, for me went off well. 
you, you already heard this story, Jay, which is part of the reason I'm telling you because I thought your response was funny. So I, I did the math trade, and I was trading 30-some things going out and 30-some things going back, which is a gigantic number. And I had not really expected that many things to trade because usually it's a lower percentage. I guess I was just free in what I was willing to trade for what. And I got a little panicked uh, as I was trying to, to confront the logistics of all this. But then I made a spreadsheet of everything, and that made me feel better. Because, of course, you did. Yes, yes. Which is what you did. <laughs> yes. So, so there you go. If you want insight into the mind of your host, yes, I'm the sort of person who makes spreadsheets for yes. non-work purposes. But no, it worked very well. It was like, okay, this is this is the person... This is what I'm giving them. This is what I'm getting from them. Usually, with the way math trade works, it's either give or get. Every once in a while, it's both. But for the most part, it's one way or the other. You know, have I contacted them? What's their cell phone number so we can text each other? You know, when are we meeting? Is it at the meetup? Is it some other time? So, but that ended up going well. It was, I, my main hiccup was that my elder child apparently was more fond of survive space attack than I had thought, and so started crying and sobbing when he saw that it was in the pile of things that were going out. So I then had to contact the person it was going to and say, so here's the situation, and let me make it clear that you're completely entitled to this game, but um, can I basically buy my copy of Survive back from you? <laughs> so that's actually what I ended up doing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, children. Yeah. Well, it, it, I, I was, I've got a lot of games, and Survive's fine. It's not like, there's, it's not like I don't like Survive, but I, I didn't, like, really think it had made that much an impression on them, on him. I did not think it was gonna come out much, so I was trying to be like, let's liven things up, right? Let's, Let's get some new blood in here, play some new things, or, you know, so, oh well. My favorite thing that I got was, uh, I got Space Hulk, so I finally own that now. That was the very first designer board game I ever played. Mm. I mean, I, the thing I traded for was Space Hulk 3rd Edition, and I first played Space Hulk 1st Edition, but whatever. Close enough. Yeah, and I mean, it's a, it's a two-player combat game, which I have a very difficult time uh, getting out to the table because my normal normal game group things are going to be more than two players, and Katie had, would have no, my wife would have no interest in Space Hulk or something like that. She, like really any two-player game where you're going directly at each other, she's not a big fan of, which is unfortunate for me because that's really something you can do with two players better mm-hmm. than you can do with any other player count, I think. Well, yeah. So, I never get to, like, play the Star Wars LCG or Legend of the Five Rings or something like that with Katie. So, you know, unless unless Fantasy Flight decides that L5R is going to be a co-op LCG, which I somehow doubt. I got Star Wars Rebellion, so I'll finally get the chance to play that. And I'm actually going to get to play them because I've got an old high school buddy coming and visiting in September. So I'm actually nice. going to have a weekend where I will get to play Twilight Struggle again. I've played that before. That's not a new one I've gotten, but it's been it's been a while since I've had the chance to play it. I'm going to get to play Rebellion. I'm going to get to play Space Hulk. 
So that should be pretty cool. He's like going to be here for a weekend. Yay! <laughs> and then I'll see if I can get him to come on the podcast, and then we can talk about the games. Uh, okay, your turn. Oh, um, what else do I have to do? You talk like about? that smooth transition? I I gave yeah. you so much lead time. I'm sorry, I may have fallen asleep. No, uh, kidding. Yeah, I think I'm out of big things. Uh, most of the rest of my time was, you know, wandering around, seeing cool things, and probably spending more money than I should have. And then I've just not... I was, you know, sick last weekend, come, got got the con crud, so I've not really had a huge amount of time to actually play any of the many, many, many games I got there. Oh, the one one of the two that I have actually had a chance to play uh, is one we t- I talked about in the preview, the uh, Seven Ronin. A lot of fun. Really enjoyed that game. What did you end up buying? A lot of games. Let's see. I got that one. So I uh, let's see. I got that one, and then while I was at that booth, they were like, "Here's a whole other stack of things you can get for thirty dollars," and I'm like, "Sold." <laughs> which I haven't even spent the time to really figure out what all I got in that, but it looked like some cool stuff. <laughs> Random Sacco games, 30 bucks. Yeah. I, I randomly got, ended up getting not just one, but two different uh, Room Escape themed games. Ah. I know the booth of which you speak. Yeah. Because it sounded cool and they were selling hard and, you know. Yeah, they were like twenty bucks, and then you got a you could get a coupon out of the book. Exactly. And then I went to they they had the Pokemon store, so I got some Pokemons. Like plushes or yeah yeah plush Pokemons, because that amuses me because I'm that type of person. Yes. I got uh, a whole lot of new T-shirts because <laughs> that's now how I do my wardrobe is cons. Now, now that I'm at working a job where I can wear nerdy t-shirts every day, I am back to getting my wardrobe primarily from cons. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> lament that. Yeah, my yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, suit boy. But uh... hey, it's hey, it's the summer. I get to wear polo shirts. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I wish there were more. I could actually wear geeky shirts like. I have my N7, my Mass Effect shirt. I have worn that at work. I have my Legend of the Five Rings polo, which I have the one year it was a polo instead of a Mm t-shirt. And I've worn that at work. But there aren't that many geeky polos, and they're super expensive. Yeah. No, yeah, that's the real problem. Is I paid the one time for the Mass Effect shirt because I was... Really fixated on Mass Effect, but I think Gen Con may have actually had a polo, or I mean, or but it was like fifty dollars. Yeah, got like a dozen polos. I don't really need one for like the the three months I'm allowed to wear them to work. I you know, I don't know, but yeah, I've got like I don't know how many t-shirts, fifty or something, sitting on the on my shelf that I get to wear on weekends. Yeah. Let's see what else. Yeah, I just, you know, I lost track of all of the different... I filled a suitcase full of games, and... Because <laughs> you're on Southwest, right? Yeah. Because I was on Southwest, so I filled the suitcase, and I've got a list somewhere of other games, now that I'm back home, that I want to get, because they weren't going to fit in the suitcase. I was actually relatively light on buying. I bought... 
did everything I buy, did I buy right away on Thursday? Because I knew exactly what I wanted to buy. I bought Seafall. I bought The Pursuit of Happiness. I bought Save the Cupcake. Hmm. I did not really... I, I mean, I, I, I traded for over 30 games. Right. Through the math trade. I did come home with review copies of some things. But I... I my my list of desired games is much more expensive than yours. And I it's like especially with Seafall, I'm not even going to be able to play these for a right. bit or I'm going to have a harder time getting things played for a bit because there's going to be a lot of locked in on Seafall. Mm-hmm. So, I I don't know, I, yeah, so I think that was really what I I bought. I got there were three things that I knew I wanted to try to buy on Thursday morning and I went out and bought them. And that was that was it was really it. I got to at least mess around with, I think, everything that was on my list. I, I think I got the least I got was with Gloomhaven. Because that, that had just had, like, the one copy for demos, and it's, a, like, a long period of time to demo, and I was just not able to... Yeah. Like, you have to kind of get there right at the right time, and I watched somebody else's demo for a little bit, but sometimes that's just not the same thing. It's not, I did get to play Via Nebula a little bit, not a super long demo. I liked that, uh, although when, when when you just described it as, oh, well, Martin Wallace came to us with the train game, and then we just reskinned it, you're like, oh, that <laughs> makes me less excited. Mm, yeah. I don't know, like, some people are obsessed with, the, like, the, the whole train game. It's a huge thing. Like, there are people who do nothing but train games, or, or like, that's their, their preference above all else. Me? Ah, I don't know what my favorite train game is. Like, the games that I like the best with trains in them are not train games, right? Like, Ticket right. to Ride, not actually a train game in a strict mm. sense. Or trains. Yeah, yeah. This is why you don't have the HO scale model train in your basement. <laughs> I do not. Even if I had a basement, would not have a model train in it. I mean, I don't. I don't know how much it is to do with the train thing. I actually don't know what the crossover is between people who like train games and people who like model trains. Oh, I just assumed, yeah. Just like a sort of style of play. You can have it. I mean, you can do it separately. Like, uh, you can make a, a train game with airlines, like uh, Airlines Europe. Right. This is mm-hmm. just a redo of Union. I mean, not just a redo. But it's it's largely a redo of Union Pacific, which is a train game. Oh, I remember that game. I don't know if you listened to live, but man, I I wake up way earlier than most uh, people attending Gen Con who aren't working apparently. <laughs> but yeah. but do you know do you know who was there when I would get there at like nine nine in the morning, which is not really that early, but before things open up or most things start. Do you know what tournament was already would already be going strong if I got into the got there at nine? Puffin' Billy. Wow. But I did participate in one tournament. I played Mystic Veil. So I actually... Apparently I signed up for Mystic Veil tournament, and that's why it was the one Mystic Veil that was not full. But it was like four hours and $10, and I'm like, this doesn't say it's a tournament, and it Mm. says no experience required, but I'm guessing that's what it is, and that is what it was. I I didn't win or anything, just FYI. And it, I did actually get to play on Friday night, so I got to play one game before I sat down for the tournament, and mm. I liked it after the one game, but I have to say, after the tournament, unless we were 
just doing something wrong. We'd have a game, and one, like, you have a 20-card deck, right? And then you're crafting those cards and improving them. Mm-hmm. And we had stuff like, oh, I go, we had a guy who went, who played his entire deck out every single turn before the game ended. As you do, yeah. That really isn't what you're, you're supposed to do. Like, that really made it weird, and it, compl- and it really eliminated one of the central mechanics of the game, this sort of, push your luck with the spoiling and I, I i said i don't i i don't know if we were doing something wrong but in after the first play it went from being something like oh that would be cool and worth getting to uh unless i can sit down and somebody can show me what we were doing wrong or why this went to skew and and maybe it's something like well because you were all playing badly and if you had been playing better, the game would have been over before that it ever got to that stage. Before it snowballed there. You know, yeah, I don't, but yeah. I don't know. It's kind of strange, but uh, I was so I was playing in that tournament, and that meant I I did not get to the uh, mythic battles uh, press thing in a timely fashion. But I I got there right at the end, so I can tell you that it's got some really cool looking miniatures, and it's coming on Kickstarter, which you probably could have guessed mm. later this year. The story is that Titans rose back up and smashed Mount Olympus. So now you're you're playing as the Olympian gods, but you're not actually gods anymore. Uh, you're trying to become one again. Mm. Uh, so there's lots of you know, mythical creatures and, and that, that sort of thing. I think they're really gearing up. They're set to have organized play for it. I think that's doing a Kickstarter later this year. It's it's Mythic Battles Pantheon. Hmm, cool. Uh, your turn again. I gotta go back and forth. We don't want just we can't just have any more of just me talking. I know that would be so divergent from our normal episode format. I know. I can't really think of anything interesting. I feel like I've talked about everything I interesting I already did. So. Uh oh. Let's see what 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 did I what did I not get to play this big deal? I have a Harry Potter game. So you you would not have thought if if you had if you had said like what what kind of presents would USAopoly have at Gen Con? I would have thought you mean like those people who make like thematic Monopoly games? Uh, none. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, over over in the uh family area. Or, yeah, or I don't know, but uh. They've clearly greatly expanded. So they one, they had Star Trek Panic, which like last uh, licenses. Obviously, they have a Star Trek license, but then they also, I think, licensed the the Castle Panic stuff. So they had Star Trek Panic. But their huge thing was was Harry Potter. This new Harry Potter game. They had 200 copies there on the weekend, and they apportioned them 50 per day. And that was a an ugly line to to try to get into every day. And not not only was there a line to play it, but like you had to rush that booth, basically get in the line to sign up for a demo. Wow. Uh, and they would they would just right at the beginning of every day they would fill up all of the demo slots for that day, which is a heck of a thing. Heck of a thing. Wow, that was that was impressive. Yeah, as always, Gen Con just full, chock full of people, most of them in line for something. Yeah, I mean, Thursday's the big thing for that, mm-hmm. and and I feel like, I think that's something that people used to do more. I 
I don't know, other than USAopoly, I don't know if anyone else was doing the hand out a small amount at the beginning of each day. Like, Seafall, you either got it Thursday morning or you didn't. Cry right. Havoc, you either got it Thursday morning or you didn't. Terraforming Mars, you either got it Thursday or you didn't. Oh, you mean saving later batches for later days? Which I, I actually like better. I guess I could have gotten two of those. like Because Terraforming Mars, you didn't have to get in the line in- instantaneously like you did with the other three that I've mentioned. So I could have gotten that one too. But even being in a position where like I can get one and not the other... I like that better because you just have the one instance of going for the thing you want the most and waiting in line and and getting it or not, and then you're done. Right, not every single day needing to wake up and get to the con early enough and hope that you're in the right part of the crowd and rush over to wherever their booth is, and yeah. And then even if you get it, having spent an hour in line or something Mm. like that, there's... so I was I was super pumped to get Seafall. We have started playing Seafall, so I, I my guess is actually that the next episode will be about the beginnings of our Seafall. Uh, we've already played the prologue in the first two games after that, so... The sea has started falling? Yes. That's what the theme of the game is, actually. The sea falls off the earth, and then you go into a deep void undersea. That No, right? That... That's exactly what it looks like on the website, right? Oh, I, I assumed, yeah. It's weird. I feel like I would have I would have a lot more to say, except that Brett, I had the interviews, and so you kind of heard a lot of of what I was looking at. I'm really excited for a lot of the stuff next year. Weirdly, yeah. Not just L5R, but Starfinder. I guess Modifius's. Star Trek RPG is not... I mean, that's not going to be a Gen Con release. It's going to be, I, I don't think. It's going to be out earlier in the year, but... Right. A healthy amount of looking ahead there. Hero Realms was really cool. I mean, I we really liked Star Realms, and Hero Realms is cool also. Mm-hmm. Still through the end of August, you can go and late back it through Kickstarter, so if people were curious about that. I mean, and all I got to do was play the normal thing, like none of the campaign mode or anything like that. That would be pretty nifty. That was one of the things that I I actually have not had the chance to do anything with them yet, but one of the things that I I got early was the, the Star Realms United, like the ones with the multi-factions and the missions and the heroes that doesn't hit till December. They had... You could get it at Gen Con, but it wasn't in the the shrink like wasn't in the booster packs or anything yet. It was just like <laughs> shrinked, huh? With the little card stacks. <laughs> cool. Talk about rushing out uh, the mm-hmm. early stuff. So was was True Dungeon your high point? Um. I see. I shouldn't ask this question because then I'm gonna have to say what my high point was, and I don't know. Well, ha ha. Yeah. Um. I mean, yeah, probably just. I mean, not just because that was the biggest time sink, but also that was a lot of fun and a new thing that I hadn't done before and definitely enjoyed it. I guess my high point was getting my hands on Seafall. <laughs> I mean, I, I did a lot of interviews. I'm going to be like, what am I? I'm going to pick what the single, niftiest interview was. And yeah. 
I, I don't know. I mean, Pathfinder Society Academy is pretty cool. My, mm-hmm. I feel like that'll be would be it will be easier to do if Benjamin was ten instead of about to turn six. You know, but that was really cool. And they were really enthusiastic about that. I I got to basically they've been running uh, the kids track and not they, I mean, like Lucas, the guy, I mean, he was uh, on the live episode a little bit, although we, we talked, there was a lot more talk about it, I guess, off the mic, but he, he's been running kid Pathfinder kids track essentially and now it's it's getting formally folded in. They liked what he was doing so much that there's now you know going to be official things expanding on it. And I don't know. That's cool. They talked about a lot of it really being just directly taken out of or based on the the beginner box set, which I I never thought that that would be something that one could even try to do with a child. But maybe I mm. maybe I'll be able to do that at some point. As we roll out through the the more normal review episodes, as we get a chance to play more of the games, we'll be able to talk about them yeah. more. But in, until we've until I've covered that, like at this point, really the high point is is buying a particular game that I wanted more than anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Again, it's it's like all right, I'm used to. What's the high point? Like oh, it's some tournament, or right. But with L5R on hiatus, this was yeah. a very different con than what we're used to. So yeah. Well, I mean, you still had a tournament thing. I guess, I mean, I could have gone in and gotten massacred at the Star Wars LCG or something like that. But I was hoping there'd be something new and cool for Dark Gothic at at the Flying Frog booth, but there wasn't. I I have the two normal expansions. They've got these little, like, 13-card packs, but they're $10. I'm not going to pay that. I did, in the math trade, pick up A Touch of Evil, which I'm going in reverse. So, like, it was first there was Touch of Evil, then there was the deck-building game, Dark Gothic. <laughs> I, I went the other way. So because I like the the milieu of Dark Gothic, I, I traded for uh, Touch of Evil. So if I like that, then there's more expansions for that I could buy. But, uh... So that was our Gen Con 2016. I've been referencing it a lot. If you haven't listened already, episode 192 was the Live from Gen Con episode. It's... I believe it weighs in at over two hours. So there's a lot of stuff in there, a lot of, of interviews. There's things with Paizo and Sirenscape and Matt Riddle, the Altspace VR folks, Dan Cunningham, who did Lunarkindex, uh, Rob Doherty at White Wizard, several people at AEG, a couple of people at Greenbrier Games. Grimslingers had a had a pretty cool aesthetic to it. You obviously cannot see it from the podcast, but the guy who did the art for that, he he did this amazing grim sort of art for Grimslingers, and then this more light, like also great, more cartoony art for like Burger Up. I would never have thought that one guy could do both of those sets of art. I can barely draw a stick figure. It's <laughs> yeah, embarrassing. Know, right? It is embarrassing. Yeah. 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 I wandered for a while through the artist area at Gen Con, and I just was so envious of some of the just amazing talent on display there. Sean Swigert, the designer of Star Trek Ascendancy, Chris uh, Sislik from Asmati Games, Steve Bonacore from Stronghold Games, uh, Selinker at Lone Shark, Mage Company, Chris Birch from Modifius. So lots of of interviews there, and 
from things that were interviews and things that were not. You'll hear more about some of those games uh, as I actually get the chance to to play them or read them in the case of the the role-playing stuff, since usually role-playing reviews are reading the book reviews. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you know, be like, I'm going to get this book, and then I'm going to play it with a can- in a campaign over the next year, and then I'm going to write a review of it when no one cares. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. kind of uh, limited by that. But you've been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can visit us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. While you're there, you can download more episodes of the podcast or subscribe. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you got this episode. You can find us on Twitter, where we're at Strange Assembly, or Facebook.com slash Strange Assembly. You can email me. I'm Chris at StrangeAssembly.com. But until then, or until Gen Con 50, woo! I'm Chris Stevenson. That was Jay Earl. This is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming. Gen Con 50! That's a lot of Gen Cons! That is a lot of Gen Cons. I am so pumped. So pumped. Mm-hmm. L5R, Starfinder, all the other new things we don't even know about. But it'll be fun. It will be a lot of fun.